BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Dad, I'm broke. Hey, broke. I'm Dad. Dad. Okay, don't you have cash saved up from babysitting? No, I spent it. I want my own bank account from S&T Bank. They offer free ATMs, Zelle, and an annual scholarship. Plus, when I open a Smart Start checking account, I get $100. See? I'm responsible. Hey, responsible. I'm Dad. Visit stbank.com slash smartstart for details. Bonus available July 1st through September 30th, 2022. Opening deposit balance of $50 required. Member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime, from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Elise. Today on Murder Monday, we dive into why a Japanese boy was killed by an American homeowner. A confused exchange student looking for a party went to the wrong house. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Audible. In today's day and age, we find ourselves trapped in our houses and not able to go many places thanks to this ongoing pandemic, which is driving some of us insane. So situations like that are why I use Audible. Audible is a subscription service that allows you to buy audiobooks that you can listen to on your phone, computer, in your car, wherever you are. Audible allows you to choose from a gigantic array of audiobooks narrated by amazing narrators that you can listen to from anywhere. 
Right now, I'm listening to The Dead Zone by Stephen King, narrated by Oscar-winning actor James Franco. It's the chilling story of a high school teacher who falls into a coma and wakes up with psychic abilities. In all seriousness, audiobooks are great for when you're alone, and maybe you want to take a break from all the YouTube videos. Well, the great news is Audible is providing everyone a free 30-day trial and free audiobook of your choice by going to audibletrial.com slash larry21. As always, I'll have the link in the description. But for now, on to our main topic. Two teenagers looking for a Halloween party one night decades ago accidentally found the wrong house and were met with deadly consequences. What followed next is as tragically relevant now as it was at the time. In a neighborhood in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, on October 17, 1992, Bonnie Pierres and her husband Rodney got ready for supper with their children when the doorbell at their front door rang around 8 at night. Bonnie opened the side door to find a young man wearing a neck brace and some bandages on his head standing a few yards away at her front door. The young man then saw her, though before he could say a thing, another young man in a dressy attire suddenly came from around the corner of her house. Upon seeing her, he starts walking briskly towards her. Now startled, Bonnie slammed the door shut in her faces, ordering her husband to get his gun. After hearing his wife's yells, Rodney retrieved that 44 handgun with laser sight that he had stored in a suitcase. With barely a question about what was going on, he then headed for the door attached to their home's carport. At this point, Rodney peered out just in time to see the boys appearing to move away from the house. However, just as he appeared out, the second boy saw Rodney turn back and began heading in his direction. Unnerved by the unusual manner in which Rodney later claimed the young man was moving towards him, Rodney repeatedly warned him to freeze, although the young man seemingly paid no attention to neither his words nor the sight of his gun. The first boy started yelling something to the second, though it would ultimately be too late, as the second boy further closed the distance between himself and Rodney with every step yelling out something about a party. Rodney finally sought to put an end to the situation and pulled the trigger, a decision that lasted several seconds that he'd come to regret. Once a single shot rang out, it struck the second boy from five feet away, after which Rodney retreated into his abode, which neither he nor Bonnie left until authorities arrived. Forty-five minutes later, meanwhile, the first boy frantically runs to a neighboring house to get help, returning to the scene shortly with a neighbor of the Pierres, while Bonnie called the police. And in an unfortunate conclusion to the incident, the second young man, 16-year-old Yoshihiro Hattori, consequently passed away minutes later. Yoshi, as he was known as, was born on November 22, 1975, in Nagoya, Achi, Japan, the second of three children of Masayachi Hattori engineer and his wife Miko Hattori. Yoshi was a bright and fun-loving spirit. He was a very exuberant person who was light on his feet and an extrovert who loved rugby and had a zest for life. His charm and love of movement and dance captivated all who got to know him. While initially unsure about the idea of going to America at first, Yoshi changed his mind by the time he submitted papers for a student exchange program. American Field Service. At the time, he even expressed a wish to make a second home for himself in America. He had also received a scholarship from the Morita Foundation for his trip and planned on spending that school year in the United States. 
In August 1992, Yoshi settled in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where he stayed with the upper-middle-class haymakers as a homestay student. The haymakers consisted of college professor Richard, his wife Holly, a physician, and their 16-year-old son, Webb. By this point, the haymakers had served as hosts to other, to two others before Yoshi. Following the incident, Holly and Richard both recalled how everyone at Yoshi's American school, McKinley High School, loved him. Described him as a really, really extraordinary guy. He was life. He moved through space like a dancer. Although Yoshi was a rugby player in his native Japan, he joined a jazz dance class while in the U.S. Not long after Yoshi signed up, which Holly gifted him a bike for, Yoshi became popular and well-liked by everyone else there. Later in September, Yoshi and Webb went to a blues festival. While at this festival, they met with some other teenagers who put Yoshi in touch with a fellow Japanese exchange student. From this connection, the boys were invited to a Halloween party for October 17th, located just northeast of Baton Rouge, in the city of Central. That same fateful night of October 17th, while Richard and Holly left to see a movie, Yoshi and Webb dressed up in costumes for the party. For his costume, Yoshi, having watched many John Travolta movies at the time, dressed up in a black and white tuxedo in imitation of the actor's character from Saturday Night Fever. Webb, meanwhile, improvised his costume and added bandages to his head to go with the neck brace he was wearing as a result of a recent swimming pool injury. Around 8 that night, the boys arrived in the unfamiliar neighborhood where the party was to take place at a house with the address 10131 East Brookside. While looking for the house, they came across a modest ranch-style home adorned with many Halloween decorations on its front line and multiple cars in its driveway. Although the home's address read 10311 East Brookside, the boys assumed they had the right house in a moment of confusion and went to the front door where they rang the bell. After hearing no answer from inside at first, a woman, Bonnie, suddenly opened a side garage door and saw the two of them, then abruptly slammed the door shut. Confused, Webb realized they, may, they must have had the wrong house, and so the two began walking away when they saw another door to the same home open with a man, Rodney, peering out with a gun. Upon seeing Rodney, Yoshi turned, turned back towards him, evidently undeterred by his gun, then began moving toward Rodney in a very boisterous manner, repeating yellow, yelling out, We're here for the party, in a cheerful tone. In response, the confused and threatened Rodney repeatedly warned him, though. Like the sight of his gun, Yoshi failed to understand the, gr the gravity of the situation. Once Yoshi was about five feet from him, Rodney fired once, which struck the teenager in the chest, before retreating into his home. Yoshi ultimately passed away minutes later en route to the nearest hospital. Richard and Holly were notified of the incident while leaving the theater after the movie, then raced to the police station where Webb sat alone, unaware of Yoshi's passing. Upon being informed by his parents, Webb's concern immediately went to Yoshi's mother. Meanwhile, Yoshi's parents soon learned of their son's passing from a worker at the exchange program. News of the incident soon reached Japan, leaving the nation shocked as handguns were banned in Japan. Two days after the incident, Masa and Miko flew in to meet with the haymakers whose guilt over their son's passing on their watch weighed heavily on them. However, upon meeting, the first thing they asked Richard and Holly was of Webb's well-being. Both the Hattori's and the haymakers later united and became active campaigners for gun law reforms in the United States. After the incident, although, the Baton Rouge Police Department took Rodney in for questioning. They just as quickly released him without any charges. 
they concluded that he had been, quote, within his rights in shooting the trespasser. It took protests from Louisiana Governor Edwin Edwards and the Japanese consul in New Orleans for the police to change their minds and charged Rodney with manslaughter. Rodney's trial later became a media circus amidst the debate of whether his actions were justified or not. During his trial, Rodney's defense claimed that anyone in his position would have perceived how Yoshi moved toward him as scary. He was also characterized as an average Joe. Like the jury member's neighbor, Rodney was the son of a local minister and a longtime resident. He worked as a supermarket butcher in the same grocery store since junior high school. Rodney testified to his recollection of the events at the moment before the shot, in which he stated, quote, It was a person coming from behind the car, moving real fast. At that point, I pointed the gun and hollered, Freeze! The person kept coming toward me, very erratically. At that time, I hollered for him to stop. He didn't. He kept moving forward. I remembered him laughing. I was scared to death. This person was not going to stop. He was going to do harm to me. A police detective in his testimony also attested to hearing Rodney's... Rodney acknowledged to him how badly he messed up. In response, District Attorney Doug Moreau called the defense's claim unreasonable as to why Rodney, an armed man standing at 6'2", could have felt so threatened by an unarmed, friendly, polite 5'7", tall, 130-pound boy, even with how Yoshi reportedly walked toward him. Thus, Rodney's use of deadly force was not justified. Indeed, Rodney had failed to question his wife to get a fuller picture of what was wrong and retrieved his gun and positioned himself at the door without hesitation. However, Rodney's defense further claimed that his wife's reaction had played a significant part in his response. Bonnie supported this claim by, uh, er, in her testimony, by stating, quote, he... Yoshi was coming real fast towards me. I'd never seen somebody come at me like that before. I was terrified. There was no thinking involved. I wish I could have thought, but I could have just thought. The trial lasted seven days, and at its conclusion, the jury returned after deliberating for only three hours, with a verdict of not guilty. A chorus of applause erupted from spectators in the courtroom following the announcement. In contrast, the Hotoris were disheartened, and their country was as shocked as at the outcome as they were the incident themselves. Although Rodney was acquitted of manslaughter, they took um, Yoshi's family later took civil action against him, against him, Bonnie, and the insurance company. The court ultimately found him liable to Yoshi's parents for $650,000 in damages. They appealed the decision only for the Louisiana Court of Appeals to uphold the judgment in October 1995. A second later appeal to the Supreme Court of Louisiana also got rejected in January of the following year. Of the $650,000 judgment, $100,000 was paid by Rodney's insurance company. At the same time, Rodney himself was technically responsible for the remaining $550,000. Rather than take the money back home with them, the Hotoris used it to establish two charities in their son's name. One of these charities was to fund American high school students who wished to visit Japan, while the others supported organizations that lobby for gun control. The Hattori's lawyers also argued that the Pierres had been unreasonable, namely Bonnie, in her overreaction to the presence of two teenagers outside her house. They further added by making several additional points. One, they, 
Bonnie and Rodney had failed to communicate with each other to identify what the perceived threat even was. Two, which further exasperated the knee-jerk response in retrieving a gun rather than remaining inside and calling the cops. Three, they erred on the side of taking offensive action rather than a defensive approach. Four, Rodney had resorted to using his firearm too quickly without assessing the situation first, firing a warning shot, or even aiming to wound. Five, that Rodney's larger build could have just subdued the short, slightly built Yoshi. The lawyers also revealed that forensic evidence contradicted Bonnie, Bonnie and Rodney's claims on how Yoshi moved. According to this evidence, Yoshi had been moving slowly or none at all. It also demonstrated that his arms were away from his body at the time. In other words, he had not posed a threat to the couple as they had claimed. They concluded that a far greater show of force had been used than was deemed necessary. After his trial, Rodney told the press that he was never again going to own a gun. A source in 2013 reported that Rodney lost his home and job following the incident. It also mentioned that he was living in a trailer park. As for the Hattori's and the Haymakers, two families united together and became active campaigners for reforming gun laws in the United States. In November 1993, they met with President Bill Clinton presenting him with a petition signed by 1.7 million Japanese citizens urging for more robust gun control. The U.S. Congress at the time was also introduced to a second petition signed by 120,000 American citizens. The families also lent their support to the Brady Bill, which mandated a five-day waiting period for purchasing firearms in the United States. It was signed by President Clinton on November 30, 1993 as the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act. In 1994, Webb visited Yoshihiro's home and school in Nagoya, Japan, where he got to meet and spend time with his late friends, local companions, and schoolmates. In 1997, a documentary was released on the incident, aptly named The Shot Heard Around the World. Today, the Hattori's remain involved in their activism. In 2018, they publicly lent their support for the Parkland shooting survivors and participated, participated in a march as a show of support. Meanwhile, no, while no longer as active in campaigning as they once were, the haymakers have remained resolute in their activism. Regardless of which side you lean on in this case, the fact remains that mistakes were made from both sides that came with a high cost. If there's anything to take away from here, always strive to make better, smarter, safer decisions than the one before you can save you from making the worst mistake of your life and spare others countless heartache let us know in your comments let us know in the comment section below what are your thoughts about this case was Rodney in the right or do you think it was kind of uh, did he did he respond in, with more deadly fo force than what was necessary let us know and if you want to be a part of the show, as always, you can send us a voicemail, 682-305-0483. You can um, let us know if we missed something, if we got something wrong, if you like what we're providing, or if you just want to send us a general comment, you can always remain anonymous as well. You can find us on social media, just look up True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And hey, if you like this video, check out our other episodes of Murder Monday right here. And then check out the video right up here for even more content.
You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. And follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.